Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody, welcome to Nonprofit Everything. Your everything nonprofit podcast presented by Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. I'm here with my host, Andy Schurecht. Hello. And this is Stacy Wedding, and we're looking forward to another episode with you. And don't forget to visit us at nonprofiteverything.com and submit your question. We're here to share uh, your questions and our answers and bring in experts as well. So we'd love to hear from you. Nonprofiteverything.com. All right, Andy, would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Our building is starting to look a little old and run down, but our executive director thinks that if the building looks new and shiny all the time, that donors will think we're spending money on the wrong things Hmm. and that, you know, they don't need their help. Is that true? Um, So I've heard heard that before, too. um, uh, My opinion, generally, is that when when donors are coming into your building, um, the, the first impressions matter. And if they see something that's run down, the first thought is, is that this organization isn't very well run. That if you can't, you know, if the carpets aren't clean, if the walls need to be painted, if stuff's chipped, um, that, that you just aren't doing your job. Right. Um, and it kind of comes down to like, if, if those things are not being maintained, like what's the rest of your organization like? What the, what does the accounting system look like? What do, you know, how does you, do you keep track of grants properly? Like all of the just things. It's like, if you show up, like, it's like showing up for a date, Mm -hmm. like looking sloppy. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody. Yeah. It sort of kind of unravels any confidence you had in that person or that organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I see, I hear the other, the other side of it is that we don't want to look rich. And, and I, I think that's the wrong reaction to donors wanting um, to give to organizations that they feel are deserving. And and in my experience, donors don't want to give to you if they think you're needy. Donors want to give to you if they think you're successful. Absolutely. Right? They want you to see that your mission, you're you're meeting your mission, you're really doing good programs, um, you're you're good at it. Everybody that works there is professional and on the ball. And and sloppy buildings don't say that. Well, and I'm thinking a bit about even your background when you worked at Three Square. I mean, there's an organization that has, you know, it's a lovely facility, a lovely building. And yet I would never describe it as plush, as kind of over-the-top extravagant. It was beautiful and it was well put together, but it didn't feel extravagant. And I think there's that fine line. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I can't think of any, I mean, maybe you can, but I can't think of any instances where I've, I've heard from a donor that they think an organization, other than just like awful donors, you know, they're awful yeah. donors that'll just say that, but they'll say it because they just don't want to give you money to begin with. Of course. It's but, an excuse. Yeah, it's an excuse. Um, but I've never heard anybody say that, that an organization, like that their building is too nice. No, I've I've never heard that before, but at three square, I mean, you brought, you brought up three square and that was intentional. So, and, and the reason that, that we did it that way is because in three, for those of you that don't know, three square is the food bank in Las Vegas. It was sort of created out of nothing in about 2007, 2008, um, right when the recession hit. And, um, when when you say food bank to people, um, a lot of times people don't don't know necessarily what that is. They they imagine 
um, someplace in a terrible part of town, maybe with a line of homeless people out front, you know, that's, that's kind of skid row thing. Right. Um, and that's that's not necessarily what a food bank is. A food bank is like a big, clean warehouse full of food that gets distributed out to pantries. And so when when we put Three Square together, it's very intentional to make it a warm, welcoming place that someone would want to come. And so that when they walked in, they'd be like, wow, this place is cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then it gives you the opportunity to bring people out there and give, you know, we had meeting rooms that people could use. Um, we... We, we did a wedding. We've done a couple of, we did a couple of weddings. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that crazy that people would actually want to get married at the food bank? And it was because it was nice enough. It, it was, is. it was a, it was a great place. Plus, you know, if you want your wedding to have, it's like a very interesting destination kind of wedding, right? Right. Um, but it was, that was very intentional um, to make it look like a nice place and someplace that you felt, you know, safe when you volunteered there. It wasn't in a terrible part of town. I mean, it actually kind of is a terrible part of town, yeah, yeah. but you feel safe once you're inside you the building. And it's not like you go through three locked gated doors, exactly. you know, the, the doors are always wide open, but you don't feel like, you know, your car is going to get broken into while you're there volunteering. a couple of board committees, but some of them aren't really sure what they're supposed to be responsible for. Who's supposed to be deciding what? <laughs> That's great. And I, I, I know this firsthand is you, you start a committee because you need something done. Um, and then it's really hard to close it down because you never really feel like you're finished. So you end up with these legacy committees that we're doing <laughs> like you might have a fundraising committee that was originally started because you needed help with an event and you needed really some volunteers um, but nobody knows when to kill it off. Yeah. Um, so, so first thing you do, you look in your bylaws, right? And because you probably have in your bylaws some standing committees, committees that you need to have forever. Things like audit, finance, nominating committee, a governance committee. Mm-hmm. That's probably it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so really, those those key. Oh no, executive committee. Um, so those are the sort of five, four or five committees that you're going to need to have. They're probably standing committees, and then somewhere in your bylaws, it probably says something about ad hoc committees. And the trick with ad hoc committees is to um, make them time bound or event bound so that if you have something, if, you, if you're having challenges with particular programs and you want to have a board committee that's sort of a task force to deal with a particular program, you make sure that you've got some end date, like we're going to do this by this date. Mm-hmm. And then you have an agenda and you know what you're supposed to be working on. And then when it's done, you're done and you're done with the committee. Um, those, those five core committees, though, um, those five core committees should have very specific reporting requirements, things that you're supposed to be looking at every single quarter, like the audit. The, the finance committee is the easiest one because yes. you're going to be you're looking at the financials every single quarter, probably, or board meeting, however, whatever your board meeting frequency is. They're going to look at stuff like um, every once in a while, they're going to want to look at your policies and procedures. Every once in a while, they're going to want to look at your internal controls. You know, so you kind of set like each thing that they're going to run over review. You put that at a particular board meeting, and then you kind of know what you're in for for every single one. Um, so those those are set committees. I'd recommend Board Source is a really great resource because Huge. they have um, they've got a series of books that are all called and they're tiny little paperbacks. It's like the governance committee, yep. the executive committee, and it kind of walks you through. These are all the things you need to do with those committees. So I'd, I'd recommend maybe picking up a set of those books. Get, I mean, first of all, get a board source membership because yep. that's going to pay dividends eventually well, well. and, uh, get the set of those books and just basically follow those instructions. And, you know, I would add to what you're saying with also, I think once you figure out what are those standing committees and ad hoc committees, I think it makes sense to spend a little bit of time creating that that committee charter, um, you know, the committee, what what 
who can be on the committee, what are the roles and responsibilities of the committee. And even if it's an ad hoc task force, I think it's great. It can be a half page. We're not talking something really long, but making sure everybody there is really super clear about here's sort of the goals of the committee. Here's what we're trying to do. This is standing or not. Um, So I'm a big believer in kind of having some of that structure in place because it's easy for people to forget that too. Um, One of the things BoardSource recommends is actually looking at um, you know, every year sort of taking a look at your committees and maybe having that be part of a board retreat or a discussion. Do we still need the committees we have? Because it sort of then sets a scheduled time where you're doing a, a, a check-in and do people want to maybe rotate committees because while they may have had experience last year, they may be tired of having sat on the investment committee for however many years or whatever committee it is and they get to a chance to sort of try out another muscle which I think is a great way to mix it up for board members too. Yeah. So I always had that challenge getting people to agree to the finance committee because you'd ask somebody, Hey, I need you to be on the finance committee. And they'd say, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a banker. I don't, I'm not an investment person. I don't really understand. I'm, you know, I might be government affairs. Um, and, and my response was always, actually, we need that because what yeah. would happen specifically in the finance committee is <laughs> all the bankers, you'd read something absurd and all the bankers would nod because no, none of them want to be the first person to say, I didn't understand how that worked. They all want to just yeah. feel like they know everything. Yeah. So you have to have the one, you know, the PR marketing person, yes. social media person who goes, that didn't make any sense. Yes. Can you explain that? It's because you're going to need that. Yes. You need that explanation. So. I always say to my own CPA, talk to me like I'm a fifth grader because I literally need you to just dumb it down like that. And you know what? And so people like that, it's good to have that mix. And they might see something from a very different perspective than people in the trenches see it. Um, And you're going to hate this, but I'm going to go off on a rant for a minute. So I, this thing about there are some really good bankers who actually are good finance professionals. And then there's a lot of people in banking who are, you know, business development people in banking and actually are completely not finance finance experts, right? And it's funny because nonprofits get in this sort of fixated mindset of, oh, it's a banker. They can be our treasure. And I just <laughs> was working with a group that had this happen. And this poor lady who became the treasurer said, I don't know the first thing about finance. Just because I work in a bank doesn't mean I, you know, I should be a treasurer. <laughs> so it is something to also keep in mind of what is the role people have within their companies, right? So right. just because you might work at, you know, an investment investment firm. What is your role there? Because if you're, you know, the, the client advisor or relations person, that's a little different than the person investing the money. So yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andy, love your thoughts on this one. Our calendar for fiscal year 1819 was set before I was hired. It includes numerous client activities that we cannot support financially, not without our program suffering. I want to cancel the activities, i.e. expenses, for the remainder of the year. Any advice on how to go about this when the board chair, who is very hands-on, created the activities in the first place and the related budget items? Okay, so it sounds like it sounds like there are two challenges here. Um, the first one sounds like there's not a strategic plan that explains what you're supposed to be doing. You may have a mission and it sounds like the board chair is just kind of running with it, um, without really involving staff, um, but not being really clear about what you're supposed to be doing. So what those core program items are. Right. Um, so, you know, first piece is make sure you get it. I mean, this is a good time too, especially with an ED transition. That's a really good time to start that strategic planning process over again, because the, the one that, the prior ED did, 
um, there's a good chance that you're not you're not going to agree with some Absolutely. of it. That's why you're the new ED, and there's not a the old ED is not here anymore. Is because there needs to be a new a change in direction, maybe. So um, that would probably be the first thing I would do. The second thing is you probably need to start clarifying the roles for <laughs> the difference between the ding, board ding, member, ding. right? The board member and the staff. Um, because if the board chair is really hands on, like that's never ever a good. You never want to have no. those two words next to each other. Board chair and hands Ugh. on; those phrases are incompatible. No. Um, unless, unless you have no staff and the board has to do right, everything, but that's right. a, that's not the case that you're in here. Um, so, getting that transition, man. There's so much um, work that needs to be done in the sector. Getting those baby organizations that are very board directed, not a whole lot of staff, and transitioning them away. Like I call it the adolescence. If yes. they can get through adolescence, you're in good shape. Um, to where the staff is driving everything and the board is there to do what the board is supposed to do, which is set the strategic direction, make sure that the organization is sticking, staying true to its mission, making sure that it's doing the good, right things for the community. Cause the board then is like the proxy for everyone else. It's their job to like look at the organization from an external perspective. So if they're inside, they can't do that. They have to be outside. Well, and sometimes the board at one stage of an organization isn't the same board for the other stage, right? And I, you see that all the time. Sometimes you get a board that's really that startup founding board, and that's all well and good. But they actually like to be getting their hands dirty and kind of doing some of the actual operations of a nonprofit because there isn't staff. And right. great, there's plenty of opportunities to do that out there, but maybe they're not the ones for the next stage. So I know that that's a little premature for this. Perhaps this board chair was just literally stepping in because they didn't have an executive director and they, and the board chair was trying to, you know, was well-intentioned, who knows, but there seems like some room for resetting boundaries and expectations. Um, and I'm thinking for the strategic planning process, because you don't want to just take this list that the board chair came up with that probably the rest of the board members nodded and just approved, right? And right. rubber stamped. You don't want to just take this list and say, these all suck, right? All of your <laughs> ideas and activities suck. And here's why, because they're resource depleting. Um, but instead, how do you get the board to start thinking strategically about how they make these decisions? So almost doing that that impact and resource analysis, how many resources, how much time, money is this activity going to take, and then laying it out on grid compared to how much impact something like this would have on the organization and its mission. And once you start to map things out, it really becomes clear what quadrant they're in. I wish, you know, I'm sort of thinking of a visual where you actually, you know, end up with sort of a, a, a lot of dots on a chart that make you realize, okay, these things that are low impact and have high resources need to just automatically be removed, right? And then right. the things that have the higher impact and lower resources, great leverage tools. So why don't we keep those? So perhaps not all of these activities are going to be bad ones, but you've got to go through that process and you can't do it alone because you, the new board will hate you. I am tired of receiving grant rejection notices with no explanation. Why don't more foundations or grant giving organizations provide feedback on why a nonprofit did not receive funding? Oh boy, don't we all want some of that feedback? I mean, I think it's kind of one of those things where we're, we're scared to really hear the truth and yet we really need to know it so we know how to do better. Right. And uh, I know because I've worked on the philanthropy end, and I know you have too, Andy, and worked with companies or foundations or groups given money away, um, one of the big reasons that I think they don't share why is 
just simple time. And I know that's probably people are listening to this, rolling their eyes going, well, I don't have time either. And look (laughs) how much time I put into this. But when you, when you put yourself in their shoes for a minute and think about they're getting hundreds, if not thousands of, you know, proposals, applications for their grant process. And so sometimes it's just a matter of kind of how they're set up and they may not even have their own systems. I've been shocked when I look at some corporate or, you know, giving program and foundation and their systems, they're, they're actually um, less sophisticated than most nonprofits and nonprofits always think, Oh gosh, here's the guys with the big money with all these fancy systems and they don't always have them. right? Right. So there's, there's that, um, I also can say uh, sometimes it's just it's just maybe the decision making process isn't even something that that foundation wants to share the reality of what happens. So I'm going to use a personal example. I served on a grant committee at one point that you know here was all of the criteria for for reviewing the proposals and then something happened in that room where it kind of went rogue and the decisions started going off into kind of another direction and not even looking at that criteria and there was nobody who was managing that process and trying to bring it back to the criteria so at that point there's no way you as that foundation or that funder can share it because the reality is is the process went rogue right so i mean i hate to say it but it happens you know so there's that um what i do think though as from the days i did serve on a foundation i really appreciated it we would not put that in the letter because putting something in writing um, doesn't always give it the depth you need you need to have a conversation of maybe why it wasn't a good fit or, or what wasn't, you know, sort of the reason it was selected. And so when would, people would call me or set up a meeting afterward to say, hey, you know, we got this rejection notice. We've gotten it three years in a row. It, what are we doing wrong? I, A, appreciated that they took the time to call and ask. Um, and B, was much more inclined once I had a relationship with them to really tell them, here's what's going on. Or, hey guess what? The board has pet charities and you're kind of not one of them. So you might want to just, you know, take a break. I mean, I was pretty direct because at the end of the day, why waste people's time and nonprofits don't need their time wasted. Yeah. Do you think most organizations that are giving away money, like appreciate those kinds of calls? I mean, I can think of funders that I would never call just because I don't want to be yelled at, but absolutely. Um, no, I think, I think it really depends on the kind of organization. So you can see the funders that, so we actually would put in our letter, please call us and call this person. So we invited them. And I will say that I think you can tell some funders, it's just, this is the reason we got too many proposals. I mean, what's, you know, commonplace answer is we didn't have enough money to fund all the requests, right? We've all heard that. And, but you can usually tell if there's an appetite to, have explore that further. So I think that if you're invited, you should absolutely take that opportunity. And if not, it's kind of, I think you have to just base it on your relationship. Do you have a relationship with someone there that you think you can pick up the phone? And if you don't, probably doing that at that point isn't going to work, but maybe you start working on building a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice if funders did provide more information. I, I think you, you did hit on something that a lot of nonprofits probably don't get is that the, a lot of these funders have no idea what they're doing. No, like there is no don't. plan. Um, the, there's a, at one point I was, it was a pretty big funder too. And they sent an Excel spreadsheet that they wanted us to figure out, fill out with this, like all of this data. Um, and the, it had multiple tabs. So it wasn't just one worksheet. It was a whole stack of worksheets 
Um, I got through this whole thing. It probably took me two days to plow through this whole thing. And of course, you can never just put your own information in. They're asking you for something that's slightly different from what you're actually tracking. So you need to go through and tweak everything. So it took about two days to get this whole thing finished. And as you know, as a as the person that likes using Excel, I went and sort of went to double check all of the formulas that they'd put in and making sure that like cells were being connected to other cells. Nothing was connected. Ugh. It was all completely broken. Ugh. So, so clearly they, someone had created it and didn't know what they were doing or, or they downloaded it from the internet and maybe tweaked it for their purposes, but it was a mess. And so all of the information that was flowing up to the front page, a hundred percent of it was wrong. Every single cell was wrong. And you know, I'm furious after yeah, two days yeah. <laughs> of working on this thing. I'm like, seriously? And what a waste of time. And so I let them know when we turned it on, I'm like, by the way, this was completely broken. Like all of these links were broken. Nothing works. I fixed it so that what you're looking as is correct, which took me another day. Yes. Um, I got no response. I suspect that it, it had nothing to do with the decision-making process. It was busy work. It was, here's a lot of stuff for you to do, and this will help us whittle down the number of requests that we get. Because nobody's going to want to have to go through this ridiculous process. Yes. Yeah. How, what a shame, though, that sometimes that is the way to try to remove people from applying. That's the way that it's a strategy funders use. And yeah. uh, there's nothing that gets under my skin more than that. Yeah. Oh, the issue of quorums. Looking for thoughts on monthly board meetings. We have a tough time getting a quorum, and I'm wondering whether monthly meetings are too frequent or what other nonprofits do to entice board members to attend. Okay, uh, that, that makes sense. It depends on what. why are you having board meetings monthly. Um, if I can see in lots of small organizations that may not have staff, if they want anything done, they need to meet really frequently. Of course. Yeah. Um, all volunteer organizations. Yeah, all volunteer organizations meet, need to meet frequently. Um, some all volunteer organizations don't meet that frequently for the full board, though. They may break into committees so that they have the committees meeting. Exactly. They're doing some of the work and then they sort of bring it to the full board meeting. Um, I think if, if people aren't showing up to your board meetings, you know, are they are they in person board meetings? Do they have to travel to get there? Is the time bad? Um, do you put them on the calendar far enough advance that people are aware of when they are? So, you know, are you feeding people? If it's like at lunchtime, do you provide food? There's like right. lo- lots of ways that you can entice board members to show up. But the big one really is, are they engaged? Do they feel like it's a useful, it's it's a good use of their time? Um, if they don't feel like it's a good use of their time or they feel like, you know, I mean, you need to have a conversation with that board meeting or board member. Like we can't meet quorum because people aren't showing up. Tell us how to fix that. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I had done work with an organization once where they would get all of the, you know, board materials in advance, a week in advance, and which is great. And then they'd come to the meeting and it was pretty much the board chair and executive director just reading those materials or just so there was no value add and so over time they started to see attendance decrease and so when when we kind of unraveled it a little bit we were like all right maybe the agenda needs to be sort of mixed up a little bit so it's not just a regurgitation of things you probably should have done to just prepare for the meeting to begin with right but how do you have some strategic discussion or um, you know talk about you know, issues facing your organization, how your strategic plan, if you have one, is moving forward. There's so many opportunities to engage in some really, 
I think, fruitful conversation that people miss that opportunity because they're just trying to kind of rush through another meeting. Yeah. The one thing that I've tried a couple of places in um, with varying levels of success is a consent agenda. Yeah. Where you have all of the things that you're supposed to approve and you bundle them all together. You provide it in advance and you have... Uh, you know, whatever the monitoring for the document retention and destruction policy, like all the things that you have to like read and take a vote on, you mash them all together into one big vote. Um, and then you get that out of the way. And um, that way you can talk about things that are more interesting. You can focus on things that the board meter board members can have some sort of input on instead of just I having love to sit consent there and agendas. Yes. yes. Do you have in your experience, do the boards that you work with have, do you recommend that? And do people take that up? Absolutely. And I found a lot of organizations that have done it and have found that, A, it's reduced meeting time. And like you said, it's allowed for time for some of the discussions that weren't happening that needed to happen. So absolutely a huge fan. I've never seen it. Well, let me take that back. Where it doesn't work is when people, board members aren't reading the consent agenda items and are just approving and which can happen anyways, but, you know, not doing what they should be doing, you know, as kind of due diligence as a board member. My favorite part of every board meeting is when you're approving the minutes from the last meeting yes. and you ask for the, you ask for someone to make a motion and you get silence. And the reason you get silence is no one read the minutes. <laughs> and they're reading them right there. <laughs> they're reading yes. them right there and they're trying to, and it's the kind of, I mean, and you just, I mean, I've always, I like to call people out on it. I'm like, I, the reason everyone's silent is because you haven't looked at the exactly, minutes yet and, exactly. and you're wasting my time yeah. now. Yeah. So if you're like, please, come on. Like, just, you know, next, cause I'm the board chair of an organization. We have that conversation. Just, it takes you two minutes. Right. Read them. Read them. Right. Right. <laughs> and the other thing is, like, do you consider, especially if it's an in-person board meeting, maybe you could consider having every other board meeting be um, a virtual board meeting. So using a product that, like, you know, there are, there are a bunch of them, the sort of video conferencing products where you can actually see people's face. There's one that looks like the old school Brady Bunch where you see, like, all the faces. <laughs> I love that. On the, yeah. Um, and, and that's a good way you can make eye contact with people and they, they, you're not wasting 45 minutes to an hour and travel time for them to get to wherever you're having your board meeting. Because you're talking at least three hours for a board meeting, right? So let's say the board meeting is an hour, an hour and a half. And between travel time there and then back, back to where you're going afterward, I mean, it's a huge chunk of time. So I do agree with that. I love the virtual meeting concept. I am much more a fan of that than these phone conferences because we all know what happens. We've all done it, right? You're on that conference call and you're busy, not really, you know, you've got them muted and you're busy typing, not paying attention. So you're you're not even really being there. So I think I like the video um, conferencing because you can actually see and participate. I think yeah. that's awesome. I also think it's sometimes we just need to have the conversation. So sometimes I see um, nonprofits that, struggle with something like this, like, oh, why aren't we getting quorum or why is this happening? And they start to create their own story, right? So maybe it's a committee or one one board member who's stressed about it or the executive director and board member who are talking about how to fix it. I think it's worth bringing up at a meeting and saying, hey, we're noticing attendance is kind of waning. So is this time still good for people? What is, you, you know, kind of, and you're never going to get everyone to agree on a time, but in right. general, right? Is there is starting your day off or ending your day? Is that better? What, what, why are you not coming? Are these meetings not, are you not finding that they're valuable use of your time? So sort of having that, that opportunity for people to just share instead of making your own story up about why they're not there and just sort of listening to it. And, and if you want to do it privately, you know, via a quick little, Survey, you can do that too, right? And just get that feedback and then start to shift your meetings Yeah. as a result. I also think back to what you said, the committees, 
if someone's got committees, I honestly don't think an active engaged committees, I think monthly board meetings oftentimes can be too much. Um, I mean, it all depends on what you're trying to cover, but I don't think it's like have a meeting for a meeting's sake. Right. And so if you have, I, I always find that like if someone does like six board meetings a year and they have active engaged committees in between those board meetings, that tends to be great, right? So committee's doing work, then there's committee report outs or things to talk about or consent agenda items at the next meeting. And so there's a little bit of time. So it's not just, um, you know, board meetings 12 a year. That's a lot. That's a lot. So what do you think the, you know, what the, ideal number of board meetings a year? Because I've worked for organizations that had 12. I've worked for organizations that had four. My personal opinion is if you have engaged committees, six. Six. And then I think if you don't, then it does need to be monthly. Okay. Yeah. So I need to tell one hilarious story about disengaged board members on call. So it was the board table. You know, everybody's sitting around the table, and then you've got that big conference phone in the middle, (laughs) and you've got a couple of people calling in. Beast. And the... About halfway through the meeting, um, she starts making a Starbucks order, <laughs> like right in the middle of the board meeting. Oh, and everybody's, everybody's laughing. We've muted her because it's hilarious, and everybody's laughing so hard. Oh, God. Um, and and we tortured her about that for like the next oh. two years. Is like oh. a, you know every time we'd send a board meeting reminder out. Oh, oh and could you please bring Starbucks for everybody? <laughs> oh, how embarrassing for her, but you know what? We've all heard it. So oh, it's the I guess it could be worse things. She could have been like having a fight with someone and you heard that. So oh, yeah, I, no, that'd yeah. be terrible. <laughs> that wouldn't be funny at all. Well, thanks everybody. That's it for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Um, Thanks for listening. If you could do us the greatest of favors and go to the Nonprofit Everything website or or the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits website, find the podcast stuff, ask us a question, um, shoot an email to the regular Ann (laughs) email address. If you're having trouble figuring it out, just, you know, find somebody and email them. Um, And because we'd love to answer your questions um, during the podcast. Um, And also, we'd like to thank the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for presenting it. (laughs) 